Welcome to the Help for Wounded Spirits. This podcast exists to reach those wounded and suffering through life's trials. And now your hosts, Dr. Doug Carriger and Mrs. Stephanie Wesco. Great to be back with you folks. Thanks again for taking the opportunity to tune us in, play us across your radios or whatever listening devices you use. We continue on with our special broadcast and guest. And over the next few days, we're going to be coming to you from actual sermons that were taken from a Camp Joy PTSD camp uh, just a few weeks ago. And we're going to play them over the next three days. And we're going to be coming to you live uh, out of Bemidji, Minnesota, at a conference in Bemidji, Minnesota. So I'll tell you what, we'll keep on praying for you and you folks keep on praying for us. And we can't wait until uh, we're all back together catching up on all these different things. And uh, we certainly love you folks. So here's a message that I went ahead and preached the first night at the PTSD conference there at Camp Joy, Wisconsin. So here we are. And again, we're looking at Joseph's life. And so it's, it's important, I think, that we go back into generations again. So we know that Abraham had a son whose name was Isaac. And I told you my life was ruined with the name Isaac because my son's best friend in college was a kid that called himself Isaac. And it was spelt the same way as Isaac. And he had me convinced that the Hebrew pronunciation of this thing was Isaac, which he was lying about. But anyway, uh, so he's ruined my life. It's like I, I knew this girl one time when I grew up, she spelt her name April wrong. And I spelt the date wrong until I was in 12th grade. But Anyhow, Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had some kids. He had a couple kids. Well, who was his kids? Who remember who Isaac's kids were? A couple knuckleheads. So when you think that, uh, so he had a couple sons, didn't he? He had a son named Esau, and he had a, a son named Jacob. And Esau and Jacob, like most kids, you know, they had their squabbles and things of that nature. But mom had her favorite. So, and uh, her, her favorite was Jacob. And so as they grew up, so to understand now, remember that Isaac married a lady named Rebecca. And it's important to remember that Rebecca's uh, brother was Laban, a Syrian guy. So we see that in like chapter 26 of, of the book of Genesis and stuff like that. So we remember uh, this guy Laban as we move along. And then they have a couple sons. And, and, and so you have Esau and Jacob. And remember that there's a couple things you can get a birthright and blessing from your father. And you wanted to get those things before your father died in Old Testament times. And, and, so, it, and so Esau had his blessing and birthright stolen from him. Basically, you know, one time he was out hunting, working, getting the food for the family. Another time his dad sent him out to get good chow and uh, his mother. So you know the rest of the deal. And when you live like that, when your family's like that, it, it it's impossible to live in that environment unless you seek blessings and forgiveness from each other and things of that nature. And he didn't do that. So he ran and he went looking for a wife. Now, somebody helped this guy, man. He goes looking for a wife to his uncle's house, you know. He goes to Laban's house and he gets there. Now, remember the time. I think it's important that we remember the time that we're dealing with. So the time that we're dealing with is most people, 
even men were covered from head to toe, but especially women, you know, they just had uh, what you would see like uh, covered from head to toe. And he comes along and there's these two sisters or daughters that Laban had and their sisters, obviously. And it was Leah and Rachel. And so as he went along, he, he went and saw Laban and he really was very fond of Rachel. He thought Rachel was a very pretty lady and, and very beautiful and things of that nature. So he makes a deal with his uncle Laban to work for seven years to marry Rachel. And, and so we know the deal that happened with that. And uh, he worked for seven years and he goes to get married and dad switched the daughters around. And now this isn't an ordinary wedding like we have today. In these weddings back then, uh, again, it was at night. People were covered up. Candles wasn't very well. And the guy gets on his honeymoon. Listen, when you get on your honeymoon, you know who uh, your wife is at that point. But he realizes, hey, I got the wrong daughter. So he goes back to Laban, and Laban makes him finish his honeymoon. And then he lets him marry the other one, but he has to work the years for her. And then life goes on. There's all kinds of crazy things that go on. So he ends up being married to sisters. And now, folks, I am certain that uh, people can only be married to one woman. All right? It's just... You know, it's God's plan for our lives. And when I was in high school, I had a girlfriend from the tech school and a girlfriend from the high school. And I never thought those words, worlds would collide. You know, I, I always thought I was going to be. And it wasn't like, you know, I was like 16 years old. I mean, it wasn't like real girlfriends. As you know, talk to one on the phone, talk to the other on the phone. And I was trying to see how long that would last. I, I was pretty much a hero among the people on my football team. Well, anyway, one day I come home. And, and when I came home, both their cars were in my driveway. And, and folks, that's the worst, like, six hours of my entire life. And uh, so if you can imagine, I, my sister hit me on the way in. My mother hit me. People hit me. They were both in the house at the same time. No one liked me for at least 90 days. I mean, there was nobody that would talk to me. But anyway, you can see how bad this was. So you marry these two sisters, and you're trying to get by. And one of the sisters, uh, I jokingly say that he was married to Leah. He could walk by her in the hallway, and, and Leah would get pregnant. That's how fertile she was. And, and Rachel just kept on praying, and he favored Rachel. And, and that's what we take up. And Rachel's firstborn. Um, so Jacob's um, 12th child and 11th son is a boy named Joseph. And, and it was Rachel's son. Rachel had two children, and she had Benjamin, and, uh, and she had Joseph. And what we know about Joseph, he was a pretty good guy, but he had these dreams, and he shares his dreams with his brothers. So you're the 11th brother, so, so you're dealing with 10 brothers. And, uh, and so that's where we are. We're in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. We're in verse number 5. And it says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheave arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance. So obeisance is a military term. It's a paid honor in respect to my sheave. Dear God, we love you. Help us, Lord, through this preaching time. And, and uh, Lord, we just need you in Christ's name. Amen. And, and so Joseph has this dream. And if you look at that, and also stood upright, and behold your sheaves, he's telling his brothers, he said, you guys were all paying obeisance to me. So I was put in a position of leadership, 
and you were honoring and respecting me. And that's what he says is going on here. You were uh, honoring and respecting me. And his brethren said to him in verse 8, Shall thou indeed reign over us, or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. So over and over again, we see that Joseph's brothers hated him. And, uh, and they hated him yet the more. And then there's a second dream that's going on. And he dreams yet another dream. And he told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and moon and the 11 stars made obeisance unto me. So if you read that term, the sun and moon, oh, Old, uh, you know, mom and dad, dad and mom, uh, they're going to be standing up and paying obeisance to me as well. Uh, so Joseph is, he's having these dreams that God had given him, and he's telling him, you're going to respect me, you're going to have to honor me. And he told it to his father and his brother, and his father rebuked him. And basically he said, you know, you're a dreamer, go out and work in the field. So he takes off to the fields to go work with his brother, and I'm skipping entire 10 pieces of verses together. And in verse number 19, we see, and they said one to another, behold, the dreamer cometh. And, uh, and, and we know that they, they gather up Joseph and they grab him. And they, he's wearing this coat of many colors. And so there, there's symbolism with a coat of many colors, especially in that day. Colors were really expensive. Some were real easy to get to. But try and purple was the most expensive color and the hardest color to make. And so the more colors you had, if you had blue, red, purple, yellow, you were pretty impressive. And so here he is with this coat of many colors in a world where everybody wore olive drab and black and tan they all looked like a bunch of communists, you know. And all in a world of that, he's got a coat of many colors. And they, they, they throw him in this dish and they want his dad, uh, they want their dad and his dad to believe that he's been killed by these wild animals. So they grab his coat and they kill some goats. And you know the story. They dipped the coat into the goat's blood. And they brought it home and said, man, they, they've eaten up Joseph. They, they've taken these things from him. And, uh, and Joseph is no longer with us. And they sold Joseph into slavery, this caravan. Now, if you read history about this caravan and stuff that's going on, you learn a couple of things. First of all, when you were sold as a slave to a caravan, they treated you like dirt. I mean, you had no significance to them whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the best I can tell from history is someone had to get killed in that group because they had to make it seem like, and we see that today with smuggling, right? They always kill one person on the ship or something like that. And the reason they do that is so that you'll take them seriously. And so that's what's going on here with Joseph. And he's into slavery. Yet we're told here in, in chapter number 39, we moved way ahead, and I apologize about that just by sake of going through this. We could spend all day going through the book of Genesis. And it says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, captain of the God, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. So a captain of the guard was a general, and, and the guard that guarded Pharaoh, that guarded the capital city, that guarded all things important. Uh, and so in equivalent to today's army, this would be like a chief of staff. But this was the main guy. Uh, so the captain of the guard is the place you want to be, the old guard or whatever the case may be. Uh, this is a, a high place. This is a high command to hold. This is a good place. So somewhere between that caravan and being thrown in with the other slaves they bought, they're going around, they're looking for what they would consider uh, people that were, you know, uh, homeless or whatever the case may be, owed debts. 
and they would scoop them up and sell them into slavery. And that's where we are. And somewhere between the time they scooped him up and they got to e Egypt, they decided that he would go to the captain of the guard. And if you think about that for a minute, that's a pretty cool thing. So if you get the honor of going to the captain of the guard, you're a good guy. You know, they don't just send you to the captain of the guard. You've done something right. You proved yourself. And it said, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And whenever I get here, I always stop and say, what is being prosperous? Well, in this case, Joseph had no money. Joseph didn't even own his own body. Joseph didn't even, uh, he didn't have any homes. He, he had no recognition, nothing. By the time he sent to Potiphar, he's the lowest of low. He's the worst person there. There's nobody lower than him. There's nobody who's, uh, you know, he's the lowest ranking guy. He's the lowest private of all privates, and he's a slave. And, and yet God calls him a prosperous man, and he was made, uh, he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And just to be in the house of your master, the Egyptian, most slaves were out in cabins or houses and far away from the building, and they weren't considered worthy enough to be in the house. But to be in the house, to be in that position, to be held in that high regard is what we're seeing there. And the master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. You know, I guess that's how we should look at people around us, is people should see that the Lord is with us. And it's hard. I mean, it was very hard in the Army, just being honest with you. My last, uh, so I got saved in 1993 and retired in 2004, my last 11 years. And, and I was never, uh, people thought I was saved before that. So it wasn't like I was, I didn't drink. We didn't drink for our whole military career. Uh, I just wanted to make sure, I, you know, we, there were so many things. We looked pharisaical from the outside, um, <clears throat> but we didn't know the Lord. But once I did, I wanted everybody to know that the Lord was with me and that somehow maybe they could see the Lord within me or something to that effect, that maybe somehow through my trials, through the terrible things in life, that people would know that the Lord was with me through those times. And, and, and because of this scripture right here, it was a real big help to me. And, and so we go on, and the master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did prosper. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over all his house, and all that he had put into his hand. And now to, from, to go from slave to overseer is a pretty incredible thing. And, and I trust him with everything that's in my hand, everything I own, everything we're going to make, everything that makes a difference here. And it came to pass from that time that he had been made overseer of the house, all over everything he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Isn't it great to know that through our prayer, through our hard work, through our dedication to God, that other people's lives can be better? And, and even through, this guy was a slave. And i got to keep on going back and telling myself that. Is this guy was a slave, but God was using him for his glory in Potiphar's house. And, and that's pretty amazing to me. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not what he had. He didn't know his books. He didn't know what he owned, save the bread, which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things in verse 7, 
that his wife cast her eyes upon Jesus, uh, Joseph, and she said, lie with me. And, and now, folks, we don't have to spend any time here. We know that the wife wants to have what is meant for a one-person one physical relationship with your wife or husband. She wants to have a relationship with Joseph. And if you look at some of the things that are going on here, Potiphar's wife was certainly the most bathed, the most well-dressed, the most perfumed, the most everything going for her there. And it would be easy for a slave just to do what your master or his wife wanted. But Joseph lived a different life here. And we see there in verse 8, but he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in this house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. And, and you know, the, what Joseph's saying is, I'm not doing it. My master trusts me. He's given me everything in this house. And I'm not going to do this. And, uh, and, and I think that's a picture of our lives today. There's so much available today for everybody and everything. There's things at the click of our fingers. There's things everywhere we go in society. We, we see these things. And, and we gotta, we got to follow what the Lord is teaching us here and what he did in Joseph's life. And Look at verse 9. There is none greater in this house than I. And he's, he's telling his master's wife, neither have he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what Joseph said? I'm not going to be part of this because uh, in, in the beginning, in verse 8, he said... I'm not going to be distrustful. I'm trusted by my master. I'm not going to be distrusted. I'm not going to be doing this thing. I don't want to lose the trust that my master has for us. And then in, in verse 9, he says, consider the dishonor. I'm not going to bring dishonor to my Lord and Savior uh, or my God here. And, and, and I, I can't do this great wickedness in sin against God. The problem we have with society today is there's so many people sinning against God problem we have with society today is it's becoming a norm. And the norm is to sin against God. The norm is the complete opposite of the life that Joseph's here. Now look at, uh, so we consider the distrust in verse 8. We consider the dishonor in verse number 9. And then we get to 10. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. So think about this. This wasn't a one-time thing. At this point, uh, She's hitting him up every day. Every day she's trying to work on Joseph. She's trying to wear him out. That he hearkened not on to her to lie with her or to be with her. And in verse 11, it came to pass about this time, Joseph went in the house to do business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out. So Joseph gets into the house. So there's so much going on here. So Joseph gets into the house, and, and, and his master's wife has gotten rid of everybody in the house. You know, she's, she's kicked every, she set up the perfect situation, you know. And, and so he goes in the house in this perfect situation set up, and, and she tries to snare him and grab a hold of him and pull him close to her, and he lost his second jacket. He's the only guy in the Bible to lose two jackets. And... Uh, so you don't go on a boat ride with Paul or you don't loan a jacket to Joseph when you get up to heaven there. And, uh, and, and I'm amazed by this. So if we consider the distrust, we consider the dishonor, we consider the disease. I think there in verses 10 and 11, 
we consider what that will do to everything. You know, here's a married couple. We've, we've got some things in our life till death do us part, a one-person physical relationship. And here's the amazing thing about Joseph. So many people at that time didn't consider a marriage a real thing until the man was married. For a woman, it was the real deal. But for a man, man, you could do whatever you wanted up to that point. And Joseph saying, no, that's not who my God is. My God is different than that. You know, today I was reading something the other day that 86% of 13-year-olds and above have viewed pornography. I'm not talking about a picture. I'm talking about active pornography. So our society today, anything is at a click of our fingers. I'm sad to tell you in my life, uh, I used to get a magazine in the mail, even after I was married. It's so real. It's so strong. It affects every single one of us. It's just a click away. If not by the grace of God, I, I mean, it could hit every one of us. What we do in our family is Debbie can get on my phone at any time, get on my computer. I want the, everything I own wide open. Uh, I have people uh, who have me as their proctor on different eyes, which is a great thing. But you know what, folks? It's so easy today to get off a little bit with what we do in life. And, and, and that's a gateway to all these things. That's a gateway. You know, it's really marriage infidelity. Even if you're not married. It's really because if God is saving us, right, for the one-person physical relationship, and it's a gateway for all these terrible things we see with abuse. It, it's, a, it's a gateway. And, and, you know, it visits generations. But... One of the things we deal with, and the reason I'm preaching this tonight, is because our military men and women, those people who've been hurt, those people who's first responders, those people who've been assaulted, we have this thing. It's kind of strange, but uh, those of us who've been through terrible pain, we almost want to find an alternate reality. Does that make sense? And, and, and I stand here in front of you guilty of these things, so... As we talk about these things, I'm one that had to work through those things. And that's why my computer, my phone, everything's my wife, you know. She goes through it. I told, uh, uh, we've been working with Lydia, and I told Lydia, you open everything on my computer, my phone, or anything that's downstairs when I go to the store, or whatever. Go through everything. I want people to be open to everything. And the reason why is because if we're not careful, the devil will have us believe that things that are wrong, things that are upside down, things that hurt people, things that exploit people, things that uh, terrible things that go on are okay because it's just on a phone. It's okay because it's just on a computer. It's okay. It's not okay. It's against God's will. And, and, and so I think that as we work with people with PTSD, and as we struggle through our own stuff, we need to understand that every day is a battle. Every single day is a battle in these types of areas. And we're going to talk about these things all, you know, we'll have a different message on another group of people tomorrow night or whatever the case may be. But I think our number one thing are people who've been through sexual crimes. And you don't really think of that as people who just look at pornography. But let me explain. And Debbie will tell you this. So we have a group of people uh, for PTSD people. Uh, it's a woman's group. It's a ladies' group in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's for women who've been trafficked 
and abused and who've been call girls and porn stars and things of that nature. You can't get into the room right now in Las Vegas. It's so full. We were in a church preaching there uh, just a few years back, and we were preaching at this church, and this lady was playing the piano, and, and she was much like Stephanie and Heidi and could tear up that piano and was just doing a wonderful job. And we always go out of our way to recognize people who play great music, you know? And so when, when we got done there that day, I ran up to her and I said, ma'am, uh, thank God for your piano playing. What a blessing it was. And, uh, and, and she said, oh, thank you. And she says, I know you. And I said, you know me? She said, yeah, we're, we're using your book in your slides. And I said, you're using my book in my slides? And she says, yeah. She says, I was a call girl. And, and you would think that a call girl may be coming from the, the bad side of town, the poor side of town. She had graduated from Juilliard. And, and she made like ten or $12,000 a week. And she lived in this apartment. And at this point that we see her, uh, she's a music teacher in the Las Vegas school system. And she's a piano player there at her church. And, but it made me think from that point forward, I've always looked at these terrible things that happen to people. I think of that pretty lady sitting there at the piano who's, now, who's married uh, to a guy who had been through some pretty similar things in his life. And I think of all these other people that can be hurt. And, and we got to do everything we can not to be He's up at Potiphar's place, being the best slave in the caravan. And from that, uh, he, he goes to Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife messes everything up. But Joseph does the right thing. Now, a lot of people would say, I can't get a break, man. I guess my brothers throw me in a pit. They take my favorite jacket. They dip it in blood. They, they ruin my life, man. They, they turn everything upside down. And then, he, and then he goes to Potiphar's house. I serve this guy. His farm has never done better. Man, everybody around here is being blessed because of my God and my service and my prayers and all these things that I've done. And uh, then I get thrown in jail. And Joseph goes to jail, and true to the godly character, he rises up in the ranks in jail, man, and he, he's telling people about dreams and stuff. And so we know that uh, we know that as we go forward, that there's dreams going on there in jail. And, uh, and, and, and these dreams going on, Joseph is willing to tell people about them. And, and Pharaoh's chief baker and chief butler get thrown in jail. When you make Pharaoh mad back then, you get in trouble. You know, you, you cook a bad hamburger or something. We, we went, where did we go today? Culver's, and they burnt my hamburger. And uh, now, if that would have happened to Pharaoh, they would have been in trouble back then, praise God. I just made them cook me another hamburger, and they didn't do much better on the second one either. But uh, uh, and Debbie's like, just take it back, you know? And I'm like, no, it's all right. You know, this is our usual conversation. Just take it back. No, it's all right. It's all right. Take it back. I said, all right. You know, it's two bites. And I, I took it back. Debbie's like, you're not going to be happy. Just take it back. And, uh, but anyway, the chief baker there, I took it back. Yeah, we, we went and we, we were picking up high on a way out of Milwaukee. And, uh, and, and Debbie's like, just take it back. I'm like, okay. From now on, I'm just going to listen to Debbie right up front. But um, <laughs> so anyway. So the chief baker and the chief butler get thrown in jail. They have a dream. They meet Joseph. They say, this is a pretty great guy. They go back to work. You know, the pharaoh says, hey, man, I've had, you know, I need these guys back. 
and uh, they come back, and, and then, the, then the pharaoh can't get this dream translated. Doesn't everybody look for? Everybody wants a reason. Have you ever noticed that when you become a preacher? I can't even go to Starbucks without answering people's questions. But once you answer their questions, not exactly the way they want to hear them, they think you're a freak. And I don't care about that as long as I don't spit my chai tea. But, uh, but everybody wants answers, don't they? And, and so Pharaoh calls for Joseph. He comes out of jail. He explains what the dream is. And Pharaoh becomes second in charge. Isn't that a pretty cool thing? And, and so he's, he's put second in charge of the and, and so time goes by, and, and, you know, can you imagine how he was adorned and all this perfect stuff? And we talked about Pharaoh giving him the chief priest's daughter that was being saved for him to be his wife. And Joseph had this picture-perfect life from an Egyptian perspective, this Hebrew boy uh, who spoke Hebrew when he got there. Imagine having to learn the language and learn the cultures, and everything's different. And, and here's this Hebrew boy living this life, and just what he predicted, there's a famine. And, and, and uh, so if you can imagine that, if you, if you look back and, and so Pharaoh has a couple of dreams, he brings them, and then Pharaoh kills the chief baker. And uh, it must have been several bad hamburgers there. But uh, um, Joseph translates the dreams and his brothers show up. There's a drought. And so, so Jacob sees there's no corn in Egypt. And corn made grain and it fed the animals and we eat the animals and, and things of that nature. We know what's going on here. You know, you run out of corn. You run out of grain. You run out of grain. Your animals starve. You don't have animals. You don't have good, uh, good meat and things of that nature. Good protein. And so Jacob sends his family up there, and they get up there to to Joseph, and they don't know who he is. And again, I'm giving you the flyby version here. And uh, so, as you can imagine, Joseph they throw him in jail for a few days and call him spies. And then they he gives them back their money, and he throws a silver cup in, and they leave Simeon back. And uh, you imagine being Simeon. Everybody else gets like, man, it'd be a pretty tough job being Simeon, but it's kind of a picture. Joseph was stuck in a hole, was a slave, was in jail for a long time. We know that he was 17 when it started that. And if we believe Bible dates, right? When we were in seminary, we had to figure out all these dates and go through every single one of them. And we know that 13 years have went by. So Joseph's about 30 years old. And he keeps his brother and he says, hey, I want to I meet your brother Benjamin. Kind of born away because Benjamin's his real brother. So Benjamin would be the 12th brother to the dad, Jacob, whose name got changed to Israel. And so that's what's going on. So he says, bring back Benjamin. So they go went back there and the dad's upset. You know, Jacob's upset. Where's your brother? And, uh, and things of that nature. And, and we know the long story short, they come back and they bring Benjamin. And then he goes to keep Benjamin and it's just a ruse kind of thing. He brings in all, he's crying so loud when he realizes that's his brothers and stuff, and this was God's plan. Isn't it a great thing when you can realize that the trials you go through, that the life you had can mean something to God? That this miserable existence that you had, it's all right, because it can mean something for God. It doesn't seem like it when Joseph was right in the middle of it. But I was amazed, you know, again today, every time I read through that and see that his brothers could hear the crying and stuff. And then he brought him in and he tells them, you know, hey, I'm Joseph. He could understand everything they were saying, but he obviously spoke perfect language. At this point, he's royalty. And I've been thinking about that the last few days with Queen Elizabeth II and stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, this royalty and these brothers come along and then they bring Jacob back and, 
And Jacob says, which brother? Jacob still tries to be a knucklehead through it all. But we end up at that verse. There's a bunch of forgiveness we see here in the Bible. There's a way we should act when temptation comes. And, and like I tell you, I have been tempted and succumbed to those things earlier on in our marriage and stuff when I was a younger kid. And you think it's okay because it's just on paper or it's on a phone or it's upside down. And then when you think that's okay, other crazy things in the world seem okay. And then when you think that's okay, other crazy things seem okay. So it actually takes a moving of God to get away from those things. Uh, this, you know, God saving us and helping us get through that. But then Joseph's able to put all these things together in his life and stand there in front of his brothers. And there in verse 50, chapter 50 and verse 20, it says, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring it to pass, and it is this day to save much people alive. You know, I, I thought about that verse, and when we wrote the song, when I first, I was so excited about this verse, we were actually doing some podcasts at the time. And this verse came up as we were studying Joseph's life through the podcast. And for some reason, this verse really had a weird effect on me. Because for the first time in my life, it really was real clear to me that things that caused my PTSD, things that, you know, seeing my buddy Willie die and have him die in my arms, terrible things that went on in my life all had a purpose. And I think that's what Joseph was able to figure out. And if we can help people figure, if we can figure that out, and we can help other people figure that out, and I mean, God can do a work in our life, can he? And uh, God can bring us to where we need to be, and we can make a difference for people, and we can allow God to use us. And I'll tell you, some of the hardest things that we go through in life, we deal with when our, our battles in our minds, because we're always asking the questions, why have we been through these terrible things? I know it's a question that every one of us asks, and I, I don't want to make that. There's no real easy answer to that. It took me about seven years, I think, in my life to find an answer, but and that's why we want to help other people find it quicker. Why do these terrible things happen to us that cause us nightmares and flashbacks and all these physical things and all these crazy things in our families and stuff, and to know that these things went on so that we can help other people. So if we can remember that trials happen for a couple reasons this week, every time we go through them, and we get to help people this way, the first reason that trials happen is to make us closer to God, teaches us patience in God and trust Him and understand Him. That's the first reason that trials happen. The second reason that trials happen is that we can help other people get closer to God. We see that in the book of Job, right? We see it in James. And uh, it's so that we can help other people. And, and, and that's a pretty big thing. Thanks, folks, for hanging with us. We're so glad that you came out with us again today. And listen, God can give you victory over things like pornography and these trials that we go through and these terrible things. We'd love to help you with that. If we can help you in any way, make sure you drop me a note out there at Doug at WoundedSpirits.com. And I'll try to get back to you as quick as I can. Also, you can always look for us at Helpful Wounded Spirits. May God bless you, my brother. And hey, when you go out there today, wear that smile that only God can give you. Lord bless you. Thank you.
you for listening to our podcast today. It is very important to all of us at Help for Wounded Spirits that you know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear with a simple salvation message. You can know today. First, you're a sinner, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Second, there's a price on sin, for the wages of sin is death. Third, Jesus paid that price for you. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lastly, you must speak it with your mouth, and believe it with your heart, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made known unto salvation. Simply ask the Lord to save you in Jesus' name while believing in your heart, and he will. Please contact us if we can help you in any way. God bless you. Doug and Stephanie, thank you for listening today. We hope this podcast has been a blessing in your life. For helpful resources, more information, or to donate to help this vital ministry, visit us at WoundedSpirits.com.